What an amazing time of worship, huh? Can we thank our worship team for just the way they led us in songs this morning? And just, I'm just so grateful for, there's just so many volunteers at Grace, right, that make so much happen. And I'm just grateful for all of them. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 46, please? Psalm 46. Last week, as we began our Summer in the Psalms sermon series, I told you that the main aim over the course of this summer would be what we read last week in Psalm 32, verse 2. Let me quote it for you to remind you. What joy for those whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And as we looked at that psalm and explored the importance of being honest with ourselves and with our Father and with each other, we also wrestled with these words from Walter Brueggemann. I want to remind you you of those. Because God has promised to be in the darkness with us, we find the darkness strangely transformed, not by the power of easy light, but by the power of relentless solidarity. I love, I told you last week, and that's why I'm giving it to you again. I might give it to you again next week. I love that phrase, the relentless solidarity of God with his people in the darkness. And out of the fear not of that one spoken in the darkness, we are marvelously given new life. We know not how. So this morning, we're continuing that twofold aim. One, to be completely honest with ourselves and with each other and with God. Two, to to remind ourselves and believe that God is in relentless solidarity with us. Huh. So let's be honest with each other right off the bat this morning. Because that sounds great. God is in relentless solidarity with us. But if we're going to live in complete honesty with each other, I think we all need to admit that we don't always feel that that's true. We don't always believe that God is in relentless solidarity with us. To put a finer point on it, sometimes it feels like our experience makes God a liar. Now, I did not say God is a liar. It's just that we feel that way even though we wouldn't want to admit it, even though we'd say, well, I've, I would never say that. But functionally, unbelief about radical statements that God makes about who he is for us and with us, unbelief about that is saying, you're not being true with me. Because what do I do when the Bible says that God is present, but I feel his absence? What do I do when the Bible says that God is a refuge, but I feel exposed? What do I do when the Bible says that God is strength, but I feel weak? That God is with us, but I feel alone? That God is a haven, but I feel out in the cold? That God is for me, for us, but I feel he is against me? What do you do with that tension? I can remember when God made clear that we were to leave the last church where we served in the excruciating decision 
of that in the months that followed, I found it hard to believe statements like these about God. I, I had a good friend who shared his experience of leaving a ministry post in, in, in just incredible difficulty for the next year in his life. And he said these words. He said, I looked at the burnt out rubble of my life surrounding me and the only conclusion I could come to was that God must hate me. And I felt that. What do we do when we feel that way, friends? And because God himself created us as feeling beings, we know that our feelings are very real, right? <laughs> They're not in themselves necessarily sinful, but they are very powerful. They, they can be overwhelming. We, we say this, right? Like we say, I am overcome by joy. Christmas morning. I am so full of love. Or one that comes quite often in these days, I am so afraid. I'm so filled with fear. I'm just drowning in it. And so often that particular emotion among feeling human beings, fear, drives incredible restlessness and franticness and powerful drives to do something about the fear, about what we think might be the cause of the fear, which we're actually often wrong about, really what's the cause of the fear, the root cause and we feel desperate in our fear sometimes to do anything, just something about it, right? Have anybody, just this franticness. And you know something that I have to keep learning in life? While my feelings are real and my feelings of fear cannot be brushed aside and can't be made unreal by just saying, stop it right? How often have you done that to someone? Good night. I'm just so afraid and they're just gripped by fear and you can see it's irrational, but they can't. And so then you just respond with rationality. Well, that's not real. Just stop it. And they're like, oh, thank you. So helpful. It's gone. You know, it's gone. What I need to keep learning in the grip of emotions like fear is that my feelings can't always be trusted. I can't always trust my feelings. I have, to, I have to speak to my feelings. But then I'm left in this hard spot in that learning of if I can't trust the feeling that's so powerful in me right now and is overwhelming me, but I'm not supposed to trust that feeling of fear what do I do in the face of the fear that I'm not supposed to trust? Where do I turn? Friends, so often, I, look at me now. This is really important. So often the point of the Bible isn't to tell you to do something. Man, we get this so wrong in the church. That Sunday morning is for you to come in here, me to give you some big to-do that you're supposed to do when you walk out this week. Now, imagine living a life of like 50 years, of 52 Sundays a week. That is absolutely, you want to talk about overwhelming? That's a long picking to-do list. 
The Bible isn't a to-do list. The Bible isn't even a textbook. The Bible almost always is simply trying to reveal who God is to us and what he's on about in this world, what he's like, what his purposes are for my life and your life, to simply look and see him. And the Bible does that in spite of how we may feel. Thank you very much. Despite what your circumstances might be screaming at you. Because, you see, sometimes you don't even realize this is happening to to you in the midst of your feelings. There's a restlessness and a franticness and a chaoticness that you're living in response to your feelings of fear in that causes you to lose sight of your father and that's why this is here and that's why this time is here to wake us up right when oceans rise i i could get my i got to get my eyes above the waves (laughs) so the bible does it might be just right here but but to get just above the waves so that we can acknowledge the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What I've learned, no, (laughs) no, I haven't learned this. What I'm learning is that so often in those places when our emotions like fear are gripping us, we've got to come back to the Bible. I, I, You guys, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know where else to turn. And part of how we have to do that sometimes, like sometimes we're just so tired and you don't even feel like reading your Bible. You you know the stories in the Old Testament? You know what they would do? They would get on their knees and they would tear their clothes, literally tear their clothes and they would get in sackcloth and ashes and they would just come before the father and they would just acknowledge him and sometimes that's what we have to do like there's a physicalness to it and there's something about this act right now like getting on your knees and coming before this book that's in authority over us and is seeking to reveal this God to us and we come and we just cry out like I need you this morning how often are your times in the morning in the word pleading wrestling I just need to see you. I'm here. I'm giving this a shot. You got to show up. Did you talk to God like that? Because I'm telling you, he will answer. If your child crawled up to you on his or her knees like that, wouldn't you pay attention? If they cried out, So this is where we're turning. It's where we turn every Sunday. This amazing, inspired, infallible, perfect word that means to show us who God is in the face of our fears. Fears that could erupt due to seemingly uncontrollable forces in the created world. Fears that could erupt because of the rise and fall of nations and the political theater and ragings of fallen mankind, fears that could explode due to the devastation and violence and upheaval of war. Words, a song. (laughs) A song. Songwriters 
looked at those kind of fears and wrote music for God's people to sing so they would know and be reminded who their God is over all of that. God over all. Let's stand. Let's stand. And I don't have music <laughs> for it, but we're going we're gonna to speak this song. We're going to put this in your mouth. Verse 1. Read with me. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the water surge. Selah. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. Yahweh of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. Come, see the glorious works of Yahweh. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes war to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Yahweh of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. Father, we come before you now as your people and we're saying here we are. I don't know how many are in this room. A couple hundred souls. So many different lives. So many different challenges, joys, pains, sufferings, sorrows, fears. You are here among us. We say as your people, we believe in your Holy Spirit and you are here among us. Do a work. We need you. We've shown up. Please speak. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, you may be seated. What could be more stable than the earth underneath our feet. I mean, if there is something I can count on, it's that the earth is going to hold me up, right? That, that gravity operates as it should, that what goes up must come down, that boundaries for waters that have been established will hold, that the created world will follow the rules of physics and operate as it should. Stars should stay in the heavens, planets should orbit, water should evaporate and fall to the earth, sun should, sh sun should shine, causing plants to grow, and on and on and on. But the songwriters recognize that that is not always the case. They point out what sometimes happens in verses 2 and 3. Earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Oceans roar and foam. The mountains tremble as the waters surge. You see what they're singing of? Uncreation. Uncreation. It is the opposite of what God brought into existence at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden to be spread across the globe, a place of shalom, 
a, a place of peace and, and calm and restfulness and wholeness and beauty and order. And then we screwed it all up. Well, Adam did and Eve. Sin entered into the world and death through sin that entrapped this beautiful world in the constant probability of chaos. It's what Paul spoke of when he wrote that all creation has been subjected to God's curse, that it looks forward to the day when it will finally be released from death and decay and devolution and the chaos which it groans under, Romans 8. That's what the songwriters are helping us express, the reality of those creational groanings of chaos. I'm not aware of any earthquakes in Colorado, and we don't have any seas for mountains to slide into, not even very many lakes, I've learned. However, a few years ago, Susan and I were traveling on what has been an annual trip to this valley. This would have been the eighth year. We decided to come and stay. And this was a few years ago, and we were taking a different pathway, normally flying to Denver, drive right to the valley. This time we decided we'd never been to Colorado Springs. We want to go to Colorado Springs, and, or the Springs, as I've become culturally aware. <laughs> go to Garden of the Gods. Check that area out. So we drive there, and we're walking around the Garden of the Gods, and we start to see some dark clouds rolling in. And in about five minutes, every single phone that was still connected to service went off like with that, almost like that amber alert, like really loud blaring signal. And we, we, I looked at my phone and it said, you know, danger of something like danger of storms, tornadic activity, evacuate immediately. And I'm like, evacuate? Where? <laughs> like that seemed like a really important part of the information to me. So, and there was, there was no part in that message. So we get in our cars and we start driving to beat the storm out, out of town. Right? Like we're just driving out of town. Just go, go somewhere, apparently. And as we get out of town, we start getting into the foothills of the mountains and the rain just starts coming and hail just starts coming. I mean, so thick that we couldn't even see. So we pull over to the side of the road. We're in this rental vehicle. And I look out the, so I'm in the, in the passenger side. There's a, there's a sunroof on this thing. And I look out the, the passenger window and it's like road and then like up like this. And what is happening is this, like this river of hail starts to come down and it literally starts to pile up like up the side of the, like halfway up the door. And cars are starting to slide down the road and, and like it's coming down so hard. We're thinking that windows are just gonna explode. It was so loud in that car. It was a white car. After this storm had passed, it looked like a golf ball. Like, I mean, the hail just beat it. So after about 25 minutes of that terrifying reality, we drive about a half mile up the road and then we stop again and what has happened is an entire chunk of the mountainside has let go and gone across the road. Massive landslide. And impressively, Colorado Department of Transportation, within three minutes, 
They, they're, you know, like, I'm thinking like, this is like Minnesota action. It's not snow, but it's d- dirt and mud. And, and they had that thing cleared. Uncreation. Now, there are far worse groanings in the world. On a weekly basis, we're made aware of earthquakes and hurricanes, floods, avalanche, tornadoes, all kinds of creational groanings where lives and property are lost. And in the face of this, the songwriters boldly and unapologetically remind us that God is over all. God is not shaken. God is in control. He is our refuge and our strength. He is, it says, depending on your translation, he's present, he's always ready to help. Literally, the Hebrew is much to be found. (laughs) Isn't that cool? You should write that in the margin of your Bible. Much to be found. Whether these trials that the songwriters are describing are real or whether we use this language metaphorically, which I think we can do and I think they actually mean us to do, right? Like we say that our world is coming apart. We say, like, I feel like the earth is crumbling under my feet. The reality that can start to form, whether it's a real trial or a metaphorical language about some trial that we're trying to describe our responsive feelings of fear to those circumstances can be that maybe, maybe it feels like he's not present because we feel absolutely out of control. We feel like he is too. That he's absent and there isn't anything that we can do. And the worship leaders sing so boldly, God is there, he is is a refuge. He is a strength. He is a present help in times of trouble. And do you know what I think that they have in mind? Have you, have you, ever, um, have you ever heard a song that you really liked? And then you're like, oh, I wonder what was behind that song. Like, I wonder what was going on in the life of the songwriter when they wrote that song. Like, what's the story? I love when, like, I love a song. I love going onto the YouTube on the interwebs and, and finding, like, little videos that tell the story of the song. I think, I don't know what they were thinking when they wrote this song, but I think I know. In the face of uncreation, I think they were reminding themselves that God is a refuge and a strength because he's the God of creation. I think they were thinking about Genesis 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be a space between their waters, and that is what happened. God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear, and that is what happened. God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each offspring produce producing its same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that is what happened. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, and God created human beings in his own image to be like him. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And that God, friends, is still on the throne. That God is still in the heavens and does all he pleases. That God has not lost one single little teeny bit of his power and control over even a fallen creation. That God is still speaking. 
and things still happen. He is bringing all of his purposes to pass, and I am telling you, he is a refuge and strength, and he is much to be found. Despite what your feelings and your circumstances may be screaming to you, given a little of little time, if you would stare at that vision of God long enough, if you just stare through this book, these words, the psalm says, verse 2, you will not fear. Right? It doesn't, the psalm, I, I told you at the beginning, the Bible often doesn't ask you to do anything. It just wants to present and reveal to you an image of God. But here's the little teeny bit we have to do. We have to look. Just look. And you can ask him to help you do that. The psalmist says elsewhere, he is the lifter of my head. (laughs) So just ask for help. I need help to see your help, God. He loves prayers like that. Loves them. The songwriters recognize it's not only the season creation that rage <laughs> because they are not the pinnacle of creation. Man is, and man also rages. Verse 6, the nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Do we feel this or what? Has not the last, has not since March of 2020, have we not been feeling this? We have felt the nations of the world in chaos, a worldwide pandemic, economic distress, supply chain shortages. Oh, prime Amazon, where did you go with your two-day delivery? (laughs) Massive ethnic strife and disharmony, protests called peaceful that are anything but, riots, destruction of property, destruction of life, leadership failure across every political party, Rampant and ongoing division, a complete breakdown of civil discourse, political upheaval, abdication of responsibility, people crying out in the streets last week for the elimination of an entire branch of our already fragile government. Gas prices climbing, inflation out of control, and on and on and on. And it is not just this nation, but it's global. The nations of the world, kingdoms and aspects of those kingdoms that felt as secure as the ground beneath our feet just a few years ago are now shaking and showing extreme instability. Do you know that no one thought Assyria would fall? That no one thought Babylon would fall. That no one thought that Media Persia would fall. And no one, no one dreamed that Rome would ever end. Did anyone, do you think anyone truly believed in about 1950 that the USSR would not exist a mere 40 years later? So even as we prepare to celebrate our independence tomorrow, It would be the height of human hubris to believe that America is invulnerable to the arc of history, of nations coming and going, of kingdoms rising and then crumbling. Many in these days fear that that is possible, and history actually teaches us that it is. 
God's voice thunders, verse 6, and the earth melts. He is over nations and kingdoms, friend. Fear of God makes sense. Makes sense. He's worthy of that because he has the power to create and to uncreate. God is over the raging of man. At an at a national, kingdom, global level, and at an individual level. And God sometimes lets that loose into the civilizations and cities of man, disarray and dissolution, violence and crying, economic upheaval that grips its citizens. You watch it on the news. Don't, don't we watch it on the news and see it in our larger cities? Isn't that what's been happening? It's growing and growing and growing over the last couple of years. Uncreation. And God is over that, very likely releasing that as judgment. It's a very strong potential that he's releasing this on judgment on our nation. How long do we think that we can shake our fist in the face of God and he won't do something about it? How, lo- how many millions of babies do we have to slaughter with their blood on our flag before he does something about it? And yet, he is also the one who can bring joy to a city by his presence, verses 4 and 5. Here, the songwriters, again, I think, have in mind the very beginning of the world. For in the very beginning, Genesis 2, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden. The river in the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, was a sign of symbol of, and, and a sign and symbol of, excuse me, of life. It's the same now. We can say that as a river town, can't we? It's a sign and symbol of life. And, and Eden was the sacred home of the Most High. Eden was where God walked with the people that he had created in perfect fellowship. And now I think the songwriters are squishing all of those kinds of images together. I think they're thinking about Jerusalem and the temple that was in Jerusalem, right? The temple itself. If you read the descriptions of the temple, right, what do we see on the inside of the temple? Palm trees and pomegranates, a recreation of Eden inside the temple where God dwells so that God could dwell in Jerusalem in this place where a river flowed so that his people in their best state could acknowledge him and not ignore him. They could see that his presence protected them from the very start of every day, verse 4 and 5, that Yahweh armies was with them, among them, that Jacob's God was a strong tower of inaccessible heights that would lift them to a place of safety. Verses 7 and 11. The, song, the songwriters are helping us to see, even if it isn't our present experience, to feel it, that God is there. God is here. God is over the raging of man. And what we know that they didn't know yet, this generation of the sons of Korah, is that one day, if we, if we read another revelation, right? This psalm is revealing something about God to us. If you read another revelation in Revelation chapter 22, we see that one day God will establish a new Jerusalem 
coming down out of heaven and in it he will establish his throne and from that throne will flow a river of life down the middle of the city and on either side of that river will be the tree of life and people will come and they will grab leaves from the tree of life for what? For the healing of the nations. (laughs) Do you love the unity of the Bible? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Psalm 46, Revelation 22. One big story of an always present God who is over all. The songwriters aren't finished with giving us a vision of the future. They move on from verses 4 to 7 to verses 8 to 10. I'd love to ask them again how this transition worked, what are you truly getting at? Here's my best guess. I think that they know that a big part of the chaos of kingdoms and nations is expressed in war. Israel was certainly familiar with this, right? Many times she and Jerusalem had come under siege. Many times she had fallen only to rise again. And it seems that that's what they're calling to mind, this cyclical experience of war, times of victory, times of defeat. Just think in the Old Testament of how many enemies Yahweh had defeated, how many peoples that he had overcome, how many kingdoms that he had wiped out. And we we know this too, don't we? What did they call the First World War? The war to end all war. And most historians believe now that it merely created the circumstances and the readiness for the world to be slammed into something even far worse, which was what? World War II. And we thought that that was the end. And then what? The Korean War, the Vietnam War, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, now the war in Ukraine affecting a global Community, war never seems to end. And as long as sin and men are present in this earth before Jesus comes back, it won't. Until, (laughs) verse 9, look. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear and burns the shields with fire. There are two kinds of peace in this world, a negotiated peace and an imposed peace. This God here in verse 9 is not a UN God. This God is a warrior God who is over all armies. This is the warrior God who stands as the commander-in-chief of heaven's armies. Do Do you recall a few stories of heaven's armies? Do you remember... In 2 Kings, when one angel, one, sent from these armies, one angel in one night slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians. Do you remember, do you remember when Elisha's young servant was freaking out because of fear, because of the armies that were coming against him? And Elisha prayed to God and said, "Uh, hey, uh, Father, I got this guy like losing his mind over here. Could you do him a little favor and pull back the veil for a second? And he pulls back the veil and the, the young servant looks at the, at the hills and what are they filled with? Chariots and warriors and horses flaming with fire. What was that? That was Yahweh's armies. 
And this God in Psalm 46 is the commander-in-chief of those armies. And it is saying that this warrior will impose peace. He will break the bow, snap the spear, burn all the defenses, and end war once and for all. And while there are seasons in history where he does this, I think he does this in the short term. He gives us, he lets us take a breath. I think that what this is pointing to is a a future and sure and final day when this is going to happen. Isaiah talks about this. This psalm talks about this. And we know this. So when you look at the whole story of the Bible, we call that biblical theology right? And so what I want to do now is I want you to be able to see what's it look like when, that God, when God the warrior king is going to do that. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to send, send his favorite general of those armies. Who do you think that is? Jesus. And we get a picture of that warrior in Revelation chapter 19. Look at him with me. Then I saw heaven opened. Now, okay, now see, what we're going to see here, this is not, all right, this is not a hippie Jesus, with feathered hair, you know, like a fan kind of blowing and it's just kind of blowing. He's got blue eyes and he's like looking at you with eyes of longing. <laughs> Singing kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. That's not, the, that's not who Jesus is. I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, come and gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great, so that when fear overwhelms us, my friends, that is your God. That is your king. Oh man, and he is better than any Braveheart clip ever. And it's why With that in our minds, it's why they have the boldness to insert this line, which I think is a quote from Yahweh himself in verse 10, addressed to the whole world. Be still and know that I am God and I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Okay, so here we got to stop for a second because, you know, there's all these blooming coffee cup verses And t-shirt verses, you know, a curse on all Christian bookstores. And you thought you know, you knew what that verse meant because you have quoted it out of context so many times. Be still and know that I am God. What you thought it meant was, yes, amen. Let me make my finest Arabica coffee. I got me a cheese Danish. I'm sitting on my front patio. I've got my Bible. I'm just going to be still now. I'm just going to be with God. Be still. 
That's not what this is about. Do you see it? We gotta, we've got to see the context, right, to know. A, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. You can listen to the tape again later and write that down. What he is saying is when you are gripped by fear, what happens sometimes when we get gripped by fear? Like literally, like you think about like trauma crisis situations and people are, what do they do? They literally get out of control sometimes, right? Like they get so frantic and they're yelling and they're so irrational. What do actually emergency workers sometimes have to do? To get them to like literally snap out of hurting someone in the grip of their fear. And that's what God is saying in verse 10. We get so afraid, we lose sight of him. We start running around. I got to do something. I got to do something. I got to make, I got to fix it. Just anything. And he screams, stop. (laughs) Amen. I'm done. I'm out. Oh, they're going to have a good talk later. (laughs) Stop. Because sometimes you don't need a hug. You need God to roar into your reality. Stop and acknowledge me. Acknowledge that I am God over all. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. And if you're here and maybe you don't know this God, part of why he wants you to stop and acknowledge him is because you can do that now, which means it'll go good for you, or you can do that later, and it's not going to go so good for you at a day of judgment. Because doesn't Paul tell us every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will. And I so want for you to do that now and to believe in him and trust in him and rest in him. So stop. Again, fear is a powerful emotion and so often we may say I'm so afraid I'm filled with fear Charles Spurgeon who was called the prince of preachers and suffered tremendous bouts of physical pain and sickness and prolonged bouts of emotional pain and depression and fear he wrote reflecting on this psalm listen you cannot do anything with the sea when it rages It hurls itself in great masses. It yawns in fathomless abysses. It rushes, it whirls, it sinks. As for its noise, it drowns your thoughts. The water is here, there, everywhere when the deep once begins to break loose. And certain troubles seem to be just like that. They rush upon you all of a sudden. They multiply like swelling waves. They drive furiously. They carry all before them. And God roars into our world. Stop and acknowledge. And so as you leave today, he's asking you to do nothing more. Do you you see that? There isn't a command in this psalm to trust God. (gasps) Not once you hear, trust God. What it does do is place before you a vision of the trustworthiness of this God. 
No commands to trust, no commands to believe, no command to do anything but take in the vision of God here presented. Family, sometimes the answer is to accept that it is not for us to fix things. Rather, it is for us to expect God to fix things. How anti-American is that? We get things done. Individualism. Do it. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete. Worship team, would you come up? The reason that I had George read Mark 4 at the beginning of the service is because when you see that story, when you see Jesus in the bow of that boat, do you know what I, what I see and what I want you to see? I see the God of Genesis 1. I see the God of Psalm 46. I see the God of Revelation. He stands in the face of a fierce storm, a storm that could kill them. And he speaks. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves, stop. Be still. And what do they do in response? They acknowledge that he is God and they stop. And what are the next words that Jesus says to the disciples. Why are you afraid? Why? In other words, I think Jesus is saying, aren't, aren't you acknowledging, don't, don't you understand who I am? I, I've been in the boat the whole time. Why are you afraid? Family, this, this table represents a far greater problem than any churning sea or mountain sliding into the ocean or the uncreation that is gripping the world and all of that kind of raging. It represents the far greater problem that Jesus came to solve, namely our sin. And the victory over that sin, what was required for it was a warrior, not who would take life, but who would lay down his own and would shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven and a beachhead for the kingdom of God could be established in this world that one day he will come back, we saw in Revelation 22, and he will complete the work that he started. They said in response to his question and his miracle, who is this man that even the seas and the wind obey him? And we say, Jesus is my refuge and my strength. Jesus is an always available help in time of trouble. Jesus is the one who is with me, even though I may not feel him protecting me from the very start of the day so that I will not be destroyed. Jesus is here among us right now, family. He is a home and a haven for us. And one day Jesus will be honored throughout the whole world. The whole world. Nations will bow down. And we know this because 
God made peace by the, he made, imposed peace by the blood of the cross of his son. (laughs) So we could be reconciled to him who were at war with him. Servers, would you come up? So that's what this table is, family. You don't have to be a member of Grace Church to take the table. All you have to do is come with empty hands of faith and say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. We're going to pass these elements out to you now. Just hold them for a moment, and then we're going to take them together as a family to come and welcome to Jesus Christ. If you didn't notice, they're nested, so I'll take those apart, and you'll see the bread and the cup. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, and so he is this great sympathetic high priest that, that understands our weaknesses like fear. The Bible further tells us that on the night before his crucifixion, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, pleading so deeply with his father that he sweat drops of blood. Do you remember what he asked? If there's any other way. Why do you think he asked that? I think because he was afraid of what he was about to endure. But where was he? Seeking his father. Reminding himself of his God and entrusting himself to the sovereign purposes of God. I love Jesus. <laughs> and he celebrated this meal and with his disciples and he said, you know, as often as you get together, do this and remember who I am for you, what I did for you. And he took some bread and he broke it and he said, do likewise in remembrance of me. And he took a cup that was a symbol of of blood that was shed. The way the old scriptures say it is for the remission of sins, for the removal of, of sins. And he was this lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world. Every failure of yours, every sin that you ever have committed, are committing right now in this moment maybe, or ever will commit, is covered by his blood. I love Jesus. And he took a cup and said, drink when you gather and remember me. We take scriptures and we use, the reason that there are psalms is because songs have this way of sticking in our head, right? And so now we want to stand and sing Kind of a modern adaptation, I think you're very familiar with it, of Psalm 46. Paul, Julie, team, lead us, will you?